Welcome to the Adult Protective Services Technical Assistance Resource Center, APS TARC podcast, the second in a series of podcasts planned for this year. We come to you with the goal of sharing promising practices and innovations from various APS programs who have received Administration for Community Living discretionary grants. We hope to highlight what is achievable with fresh ideas and new partnerships to help you envision what may be replicated in your program. In this podcast, Jennifer Sperry, APS TARC subject matter expert, Mariah Freark, Deputy General Counsel for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Disabled Persons Protection Commission, John Mullally and Brian Kelly, both with Mass Advocates, Massachusetts Advocates Standing Strong, discuss the person-centered, collaborative, co-design, co-development, co-implementation of an enhanced technology-based education and reporting system called Recognize, Report, and Respond, R3, for use by people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Before we go to our interview, a quick disclaimer. The Adult Protective Services Technical Assistance Resource Center is a project of the U.S. Administration for Community Living, Administration on Aging, Department of Health and Human Services, and administered by WRMA Incorporated. Contractors' findings, conclusions, and points of view do not necessarily represent the official policy of the federal government. For those that may be new to Adult Protective Services and not familiar with the APS TARC, our mission is to enhance the effectiveness of state APS programs by supporting federal, state, and local partners' use of data and analytics, applying research and evaluation to practice, and encouraging the use of innovative practices and strategies. Now let's join Jennifer Sperry, Mariah Freark, John Mullaly, and Brian Kelly in conversation. Hello, I'm Jennifer Sperry. I'm going to introduce Mariah Freark. Mariah is Deputy General Counsel for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Disabled Persons Protection Commission, also known as DPPC. DPPC's Administration for Community Living Adult Protective Services Enhancement Grant is utilizing technology to create a common data reporting system that partners DPPC with stakeholders to create an enhanced technology-based abuse education and reporting system called Recognize, Report, Respond, or R3, for use by people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Mariah, please tell our listeners about your path to APS and the Disabled Persons Protection Commission. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for having us on today. Let's see here. I went to law school at the Northeastern University School of Law in Boston here in Massachusetts. And after I graduated in 2010, my first job was working as the attorney investigator at the Cambridge Human Rights Commission, which is a city of Cambridge department responsible for enforcing the city's anti-discrimination ordinances. And our office was right next to the Cambridge Commission for Persons with Disabilities. We worked very closely with them as well as other city departments, but I ended up doing a lot of disability-related anti-discrimination law, a lot of housing, reasonable accommodation. And that was really how I kind of stumbled into the world of of disability rights. And I was looking to swim in a bigger pond after my first, you know, probably five or six years as an attorney. And so ended up here at DPPC in 2015. Wow. All of that experience probably serves DPPC very well. 
considering all the different legal aspects that you encounter. <laughs> so now I'd like to introduce Brian Kelly. Brian works for Mass Advocates and is on yeah, the DPP. <laughs> yeah, is on the DPPC advisory board as well. So Brian, yep. tell us what Mass Advocates stands for. The acronym. Well, it stands as self advocacy uh, people with disabilities that have are self advocates. Massachusetts Advocates for Standing, Standing strong. strong. Standing Strong. Okay, great. And you're also on the DPPC advisory board, like I said, so you do wear many hats. You're absolutely yep. right. <laughs> so tell us, how did you get involved in self-advocacy? Well, I started in 1993 when I moved to Milford. When the guy goes, uh, well, you should come to these meetings. We need somebody like you who's good at speaking up and all that. Yeah. And I started going to the self-advocacy meetings in 1993. Yeah, and now you lead them, correct? <laughs> Pretty much. And then I was on and the board of directors for alternatives. For alternatives? Yeah, which is now oh. Open Sky. You know? wow. For a service you providing agency, yeah. You do wear many hats. Thanks, Brian. So anything else you want to add about your path to self-advocacy? It's good for you have to speaking up, you know, speaking up is what you want, you know. Yeah, only you know what you need best, right? <laughs> yep. They can't read minds. No, no. I'd like to introduce John Mullally. He works for Mass Advocates, and Mass stands for Massachusetts Advocates Standing Strong, right, John? Right. So please tell our listeners, how did you get involved in self-advocacy? got involved in self-advocacy in 1985. I got involved by being the teenage ambassador for for Diamond Easter Seals. I had to go to General Trail Eyewitness News make an appearance on the news and come back the following day and get people to donate the money to what what is a good cause And I really feel it still is a good cause. <laughs> Medical Street School helped me throughout my life. 
maybe you're the reason that that Massachusetts has such a strong system for people with disabilities. <laughs> I'd like to go that far. <laughs> Thank you for that. And you've been an advocate for 37 years. That's nothing to right. sneeze at. <laughs> So Mariah, can you tell us about each of the partners involved in this innovative grant? Sure. DC was the, the grant recipient from the administration for community living, but we knew you know, even before we submitted our application, we can't do this on our own. So it was critical to involve, first of all, mass advocates standing strong. We knew, again, right from the beginning that we wanted the voices of self-advocates, not just to be included, but to be central to the app that we're building. We didn't want to you know, build something that we think would work without input from the the end users of the people who would who would be using it. So we're working with Mass Advocate Standing Strong. We have a computer scientist, Dr. Krishna Venkata Subramanian, who's down at the University of Rhode Island, and we have a social psychologist, Dr. Janine Skarenko. She's over at the Worcester Polytechnic Institute. And then we're also working with our state's Department of Developmental Disabilities. So that's kind of the core group of folks working on this project. Wow, a social psychologist and a computer scientist all in one room, mm -hmm. <laughs> along with DPC and mass advocates. That's, that's incredible crew. So I'm always curious about the vision behind these grants. And I understand there's a lot of older curriculum that's been built on. How many partners have been a part of it? A lot. <laughs> You know, same, yeah. same sort of same sort of critical stakeholder. Nancy Alterio, the executive director for the DPP, got this project going, oh gosh, well before my time, 15 or maybe 20 years ago, called the Awareness and Action Project. And this was a curriculum. We got a grant from, I want to say it was the Office for Victims of Crime, to develop a curriculum with and for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities to help them recognize, report, and respond to abuse. So this is a curriculum that is team taught. There's an instructor with a disability and an instructor without a disability, and it's taught directly to people with disabilities. So Brian is one of the awareness and action instructors, which is why he's such a great part of our project, because right. what we wanted to do was take this in-person training and, and the idea and the curriculum that it had and try to turn that into an app, just because we don't, we can't possibly replace the in-person experience, but that's, it's really good information. Not everybody knows what abuse is or, you know, what you're supposed to do if you think you're being abused or somebody you know is being abused. So the awareness and action curriculum is, was the foundation for the R3 app that we created. So in the beginning, we thought we were going to be able to develop an app that would cover all of those three R's, but, you know, we discovered we had ourselves an iceberg. So our first app is just focused on the recognized piece. And so it's basically an abuse education and prevention tool for people to go through and learn about the different types of abuse. And then we do have a feature built into the app where you can contact the Disabled Persons Protection Commission or a trusted person. But we are looking at building out a separate reporting app to try to enhance the ability of people to report so that they don't have to make a phone call or don't have to go through like a lengthy, you know, online form that they would fill out. We're still sort of brainstorming what that looks like. And then for the respond piece, we're in the process of using our 
our COVID federal funds to, to build a self-care app to help people who, you know, if, if they've been abused or if somebody that they know has been abused, you know, just to kind of work through that and take care of themselves and heal a little bit more. So we're, we're looking at this now to be kind of a complementary suite of the three apps that, you know, ultimately will be able to interact together, but also will be able to stand alone. Great. And the trusted contact component in the app is intriguing to me because other industries, I'm thinking of financial exploitation with financial institutions, they use a trusted contact component. So how does the trusted contact component work in this app? Is it? It's actually yeah. something that came out of the awareness and action training, right, Brian? You guys talked about a, a trusted person. Yeah. So, you know, when they're when they're doing the training, they say mm -hmm. if you, you know, who if, if you're concerned about something or if you're, you know, worried about something, who do you talk to? And so it's the same sort of I put into the app so that, you know, the user when they're beginning to use the app can put in, oh, you know, I want my friend Donna to be my trusted contact and, and so preload her name and, you know, contact information. And then there's a button in the app that just says call trusted contact. So when you press that button, it automatically brings up that person's phone number. That's an excellent feature. That's really great. So think, speaking of that, Brian, other than the trusted contact app component, how, what other features of this app do you think would really benefit persons with disabilities? Like you said, is somebody just press a DPPC and they'll get her an answer yeah. from somebody. They press the button wow. and they feel they're being hurt. Yeah. Yeah, they can call DPPC directly from the app. Great. And we and, had spoken earlier, Brian, and you had said that it's 24-7? Yep. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. Wow. And, and that way, like the advocate meetings you lead, if you need something right now, you don't have to wait for that advocate meeting. Right. Great. Now, other features for it? I know you, you have a visual impairment, and you had mentioned before about the large print. And a speaking thing helps too. Oh, wow. Okay. Tell me more about that. I don't know, but on the app and on my iPad, I have a reader screen, screen reader. Yeah. And we did, me. yeah, we did build the app to be compatible with those kinds of screen readers so that the text is read for people who don't read. Gotcha. That's pretty incredible. And mentioned there's videos and games and things like that as a part yeah. of the app. And who doesn't have a phone these days? I mean, there are certain people, but I'm sure it's really great to access DPPC immediately and be able to reach out to your trusted contact. Um, Ivan, what do you think this will bring to persons with disabilities? I think I don't bring them more. And independent and freedom. <clears throat> and more comfort. You're speaking about the self-care part of the app, correct? Right. Gotcha. Yeah, that freedom and comfort are two very important things in my world. <laughs> Just thinking a lot of our worlds, right? Right. So I'd like to back up a little bit just because I know 
COVID affected a lot of things in our world, but how did the kickoff to getting this app off the ground or the organization of the project, how did that begin? It was a partners. relatively easy kickoff just because we have really solid working relationship with all of the stakeholders already. So, you know, we weren't starting from scratch and introducing ourselves and saying, you know, hi, we're DPPC and this is what we do. We were reaching out to people who are already really integral partners in our day to day work and saying, hey, we want to do a little bit extra. Um, and so, you know, we had kind of lined up our ducks, we got the money and we just hit the ground running and we started out by having in person meetings. And I know I know we're going to get to that in a minute, but everybody was really enthusiastic and really excited from the get go. So our it wasn't it, it, it wasn't really a kick. It was like, you know, like a nudge. <laughs> like yeah. was, we were we were off and, and ready to go. That goes to show you how important having partners and collaborators in the community are for for us. So. Yeah, let's get to the technology component, because Brian, I wanted to ask you about that. How did COVID affect the project? Because I know you were key in kickstarting this, and then COVID hit. Well, we didn't get to see each other in real, but that got, helped me learn Zoom, you know? <laughs> We've all learned Zoom. <laughs> yes. A lot of Zooming. So, yeah, you had a lot of projects planned. You still were able to get these done via Zoom? Oh, yeah. Wow. So how did COVID affect your project? How did things have to change for you all? <clears throat> I had difficulty with Brian because in the start, we got to go out and see more team members. And what they what they got to do and how they're shaping um, um, <clears throat> that that part of the app. Yeah, it's different working face to face than on a it screen. Right. <clears throat> it is. Yeah. And what what John was talking about as far as shaping the app, we um, we had planned to initially do a, a big month-long pilot test when we had an app all done and built. We were going mm -hmm. to um, you know, put a bunch of people in a room together and give them all tablets and train everybody on how to use the app and then send them home and have them you know, use these tablets and use the app for 30 days. And obviously we're not doing that. Our team did a phenomenal job switching it up and trying to figure out how to do that virtually. Krishna and his team of students found an emulator so that they could make the emulator talk to Zoom so that people could use the app through Zoom. Our, our computer scientist is really big on what he calls code design, which is so it's it's less like I'm going to build this thing and then see how you feel about it and more. Why don't we build this thing together? I think it took a lot of like wizardry to make that happen, but it did. So I'm I'm really proud of how we were able to adapt. But, you know, like Brian said, it was it was hard not seeing each other in person both at our regular meetings and doing the pilot tests. 
Yeah, wizardry or a computer scientist on your team. That sounds I mean, they're the same thing as far as I'm concerned. Like <laughs> seriously. How is like, that not a wizard? I don't understand. All magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I guess my next question is for Mariah. Was this grant extended or if not, is it still funded? Where where are you with things? We are wrapping up our no-cost extension. We were really grateful to ACL that, you know, they acknowledged, I, I mean, as soon as the pandemic kicked in, Elizabeth Petrui, our contact, was like, if you guys need more time, let us know. So that was really helpful. You know, we wanted we wanted to do our best. And so we didn't start thinking of a no-cost extension right away, but it was nice to know that we had that as a backup in case we needed it. And because a virtual pilot's took so much more time, we did end up requesting and receiving that no-cost extension. So we are looking to wrap up our project on August 31st. We have a pretty final version of our app. We're hoping to present that at the NAPSA conference this year. And then we're also looking at distributing this app more widely and making it open source so that it can be more generalizable so that, you know, people aren't people can put in their own APS agency rather than having the call APS button called DPPC. So this definitely is something, you know, from the beginning that we've envisioned sharing with other states. Even the abuse education curriculum is not tailored to the Massachusetts abuse law. It covers, for example, financial abuse, which DPPC doesn't have jurisdiction over. So the the app was designed sort of, you know, from the beginning to be something that could be used by a variety of people in a variety of places. Yeah, that would be, I, I'm sure that would be a well-attended session because the, if it was re- replicable across the country to other states, what a, what a great innovation you've just given to <laughs> your counterparts. Yeah, we're really excited <clears throat> to share it. So Brian, do you have any final comments before I close? It's been like wonderful said, uh, having you. I wasn't involved with the videos, but I wasn't involved with the words of the curriculum, you know, the awareness and action. Yeah, the awareness and action. Well, that's the foundation for this. So yeah. you've been involved since ground floor. Well, so in closing, this project is truly groundbreaking. And without the input of persons with disabilities like Brian and John, with over 66 combined years of self-advocacy experience, I don't think this would have been possible. The app has been designed with and for people with disabilities. What is it you all say? Nothing about us without us. I love that. (laughs) I'm sure our listeners gained some good information and we'll explore projects like this in the future. So thank you again to Mariah, John, and Brian. Thank you very much for listening. To give us feedback on this podcast or any other APS TARC product, please visit our podcast page at apstark.acl.gov forward slash podcasts and take our brief survey or email us at apstark-ta at acl.hhs.gov.